Thanks for calling the Q Hotline. This is Kevin Brittingham. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think. Q, Q products, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Industry news, things you want to say, especially if you got something funny to say. You could have called anywhere in the world. You called us. We appreciate that. Hey Q, this is Zach Carlson. I just wanted to let you know I have both your El Camino and your Erector, and I love them, and it's really nice to see some innovation in the industry. But I keep hearing on this podcast that you sold your company for $22 million, but can we use some of that $22 million to buy you a better microphone? Thanks. Hey, you guys! Hey, this is Cody. Just wanted to tell you I love Baller Shot Collar, best bolt action rifle in the world. Got the trash panda on it, ready to slay some deer. Hoping to get the Mini Fix 300 Blackout Pistol pretty soon. Then I need to get that Jumbo Shrimp, the Pork Chop, 8.6 Blackout, whatever you're going to call that thing, it's going to be awesome. Most awesome product in the world. Love you. Bye. It's the drive-in. So, this morning, I got a lot of questions this weekend. It's, I don't know, let me start over. It's like Columbus Day or <laughs> Indigenous People Day or what other fucking silly holiday so government employees can get the day off this is. Um, I'm embarrassed of all of you. With that said, I got a lot of questions over the weekend about um, muzzle threads adapters, attachments, etc. And I agree, the industry has failed, has failed each and every one of you. There should be standards, standards, and we can't get an association to do it. I think it's mainly because the gun industry is formed mostly of douchebags and uh, a bunch of tactical mall ninjas and whatnot. Um, and then just a bunch of old rich white fuds that don't get it. Um, so there should be standards for muzzle threads. There should be consistency, commonality. There should be specified tolerances. There should be an expectation of when you, the valued consumer, purchases a gun and you want to put a muzzle device on it, no matter whose it is or what it is, that you know what's going to work. You know what the thread's going to be. You know you're going to get alignment. You know all of these things. So when somebody asks me if they can put an adapter on something, like the answer is no because there's just too many variables. Now, if I know, if we made it or whatever, then it's fine. And essentially, any muzzle device that you put on your, your weapon that attaches, that a silencer attaches to is an adapter. Um, but when you start stacking up the tolerances, meaning there are thread tolerances, so a concentricity tolerance, like how do you know that your threads, that the bore of your rifle is actually in the center of your threads? Because some dude had to machine that. And what tolerances is he holding? So we hold a pretty tight concentricity tolerance. But with that said, to have male and female threads go together and come apart, there is a tolerance between the two of those. And so if you have a 90 degree shoulder, which is very common because, well, 
at this point it should not be but it still is because people have silencers and there's obviously it's pretty widespread at this point so you're attaching something that hangs out beyond the muzzle you want that bore through that device to be as in line with the bore of your rifle as realistically possible there's a few ways to do that if you have a 90 degree shoulder which is lame but better than no threaded barrel i guess um there is the perpendicularity uh, perpendicularity yeah so that tolerance which is it needs to be perpendicular to the bore axis to give you alignment now how do you know that it's perpendicular and that's super critical um, most companies do a pretty good job because that's a pretty easy one now the thread tolerance between the two parts allows there to be slop there has to be for it to go on and off so you want to hold that pretty tight but not so tight that it goes on once and never comes off because there's a burr or a little piece of grit saying something gets in the threads and then the threads tear or they never they never separate again so that sucks so you need a little bit of tolerance but if you have a nine degree shoulder these two things can line up in different places every time and the, the bore of the silencer isn't going to be consistent with the bore of your rifle so you have to have the bore of your silencer oversized and so now it needs to be even more oversized otherwise you're going to get some baffle and end cap contact unrelated to turbulence and things like that that the baffles create inside the silencers so what is the best way to do that what is the best way is it to put shims or crush washers like all these other companies do hell no because a shim how do you know how flat a shim is ground and we learned which i've said previously when we want a socom contract the one that everyone thinks surefire won all of it we won 75 percent of it when we won the precision rifle part the magic marker that we would mark the shims like red would mean it's a certain thickness a green marker stripe on it would be another thickness and we just put a stripe on the side of the the shim if there was that created a tolerance because that added to the thickness of the shim minutely but in that part so if you lined all if you had to use all of the shims let's say there were six shims i think it was five actually but if you lined them all up in the marker in the same place at the end of a nine inch silencer you would have 30 or 35 thousandths of um, misalignment. So you're really, really likely to get an end cap strike. So when Ethan and I learned that, it's like, holy shit, we have to go away from this. And the very first Honey Badger has a tapered muzzle. It is smart. And you know, I mean, look, every machine tool there is, every tool that every gun company uses to machine components for your gun or anything have tapers so when you put the chuck in you know to put a new drill in or a new it's a taper that holds it in self-locking taper so the reason they do that is for alignment and that's how you get consistency in attaching something detaching something and getting alignment with it being separate pieces so we put that behind the muzzle threads. Now, optimally, you would want it in front of the muzzle threads, but then you'll lose reverse compatibility. So with our cherry bomb, since most of the rifles out there are 90-degree shoulder still, we make all of our muzzle devices work with our taper. And it's the taper that we did at SIG and at AAC, but AAC, they were too stupid to carry it on. But we did it at SIG. Ours is interchangeable with theirs. And H&K is doing it now, and some other companies are doing it. 
Um, e- even in other countries, there's a Canadian company that just um, sent us some pictures of their muzzles where they're doing it for customers. It's smart. It, it, and it was obvious. But we put it behind the thread in this case so you have reverse compatibility. So um, you can still use your standard muzzle devices on our barrels and vice versa. You can use a cherry bomb on a 90 degree shoulder. Now, if you want to put your standard, uh, whoever you got, silencer code, dead air, um, surefire muzzle device on our barrels, we have a, a 90 degree shoulder adapter that you slide on. It's a precision ground adapter that turns our taper into a 90 degree shoulder for those muzzle devices. If you have a 90 degree muzzle device, don't put it on our barrel without it and then torque it down. You'll damage um, the muzzle taper and you could potentially get misalignment. (coughs) So, excuse me, spend the $20 if you're not willing to step up to taper muzzle devices and get this adapter. Please, do yourself a favor. You know, like buy once, cry once, or I, I don't know, whatever. There's, I'm sure there's some saying that goes with this. Um, so using the tapers, do that. So when you look at our cherry bomb, how does our how does our muzzle device and adapter provide better alignment? Anybody? Well, we don't use crush washers and we don't use those stupid shims. So it's really easy to install. We don't use those, and we use a taper on our muzzle that goes into the cherry bomb, and then the cherry bomb has a taper in front of the of the threads on it to attach the silencer to. So we have two tapers. So there's thread, um, you know, concentricity and things with those that we hold very tightly. Um, and there still is some tolerance in those. So, and we also generally just run a very generous bore in our silencers and it's for several reasons. Um, bad ammo, short barrels, bullet instability, but also we don't need the really tight bore. You want the really tight bore to get good sound performance. Um, we use an inch and three-quarter diameter silencer, so we have 50% more volume in the Thunder Chicken than the comparable Surefire can of the same length. 50% more because we're not a small diameter and not running spacers inside the tube and taking up all the internal volume with material. So we have air in there, which is great. So we get great sound performance because there is a lot more internal volume and in our baffle design. And then we also don't want to run a tight bore because what that does is keeps more gas in the silencer, which means it shoves it down the bore of your rifle and your gas system into your face. So we try to avoid a lot of that. Um, so for a you know, standard baffle design silencer, we have the best back pressure um, performance out there. And we paid a lot of attention to all of these things. But then also if you use our silencers on other guns, they don't pay as much attention to the bore of the rifle as we do for whatever reason. You know, I I was into silencers as soon as I got into guns. So I'm hypersensitive to muzzle attachment for our firearms. Um, It should come as no surprise, but I would say other companies are, they're not that way. So we ran a very generous bore, so it's much less likelihood of you getting some end cap or baffle strike. And let's say you do, no worries, we engraved the rear mount, we can cut off your baffle core, weld a new one on there <coughs> without you having to go through the whole process again. Because our mount is the serialized part and actually the silencer. Um, so it's a pain, it's a hassle, it takes some time, it's expensive, but you can do it without having to wait a year and pay another $200 tax. Um, and then muzzle adapters, uh, it drives me nuts. Outside of a tapered muzzle and our cherry bomb, 
I don't like switching silencers gun to gun, and I know, like, we get a lot of questions about, hey, are you going to do something like the hybrid so I can suppress my 4570 all the way down to my 22? And I don't think we're going to do that. It's just too much of a compromise, and I know there's a market for it, but we're backordered now, and if that changes or, you know, and I reserve the right to change my mind about all this stuff, like, you know, once Ethan and the engineering team, Eric Burke, came to AAC, we got a hundred times better. You know, when we went to SIG, we had learned a ton and we got a lot better. Uh, we learned a ton at SIG in the, in the couple years I was there. And so when we left and started Q, you know, I mean, you got to keep in mind, it's Ethan and I are still together. Um, we learned a ton and we got to start from a, you know, a clean slate, which was super nice and uh, is really liberating in some ways. And we just took all these lessons that we've learned, the things that we did right, but of course, where we learn is the failures. Um, and that's pretty exciting. And, and what we've concluded at this point so far, probably halfway into our journey, is that you need a taper on your muzzle. <laughs> that's that's just a fact. And don't try to use one silencer on 10 different guns. You, you know, adapting it with all these crazy adapters, and yes, it can work, um, but to what degree and what is the hassle? And it's just not something that we're interested in. There are a lot of the small companies, it seems, uh, kind of specialize in this sort of stuff. And I think that's great and that's cool. And, and there is, there's room for everyone. Um, but, you know, we're not going to do everything that's popular. Uh, we're going to stick with trying to do what's best and what's right. And, you know, I mean, I guess that's... That's it. Other things to look for in tapers, you know, or in adapters would be material. Um, I don't really know. I, I mean, I want to give you some advice, but I'm just not, just not into it. And I think overall, it's uh, not a great idea. And try to stay away from a bunch of adapters or even muzzle devices with shims and crush washers if you want to mount. Um, a silencer to it. Good morning. It's the drive-in. Um, Riding to the office. This morning is about someone who has inspired me in our industry, in business. Um, I've learned a lot of lessons from. Uh, has been a personal friend and a mentor for a very long time, C. Reed Knight Jr. So, Reed started Knight's Armament Company, and uh, they also have expanded into Night Vision, a lot of other things now. <coughs> I held them in the same regard starting out as I did H&K. Uh, Knight's Armament, and, you know, I'll speak about read mostly but you know he's had a team there for a while and his sons and his uh, oldest son Trey or Reed Knight the third has been uh, a lifelong friend um, and they've all played a vital role I believe in the success of that company um, although not hugely commercially successful they've never cared actually I think Reed Knight Jr. So I'll just refer to him as Reed, and the third is Trey. Um, Reed, the father, he doesn't care about the commercial market. Uh, he's always been fascinated with the military side, 
and has innovated more things. He's had more NSN numbers, national stock numbers, I think, than any other company in the States um, for small arms stuff. And he took a very unique approach, in my opinion. And this is completely biased in my perspective of things and not necessarily the truth, but just my truth or the way I see it. Uh, so take it for what it's worth. These are uh, mostly firsthand accounts. Um, and I'll tell a couple stories and what inspired me. So it's very interesting for me, you know, starting Advanced Armament at 19, I had already met Reed Knight, and I'm 45 now. So most of you are pretty green in the industry, I believe. Um, and, and that's not to be derogatory, but that's to, to try to give you an idea of maybe it doesn't seem important to you now, but how it influenced me. Um, H&K, everybody knows brilliant company done lots of great things you know they've been stumbling around now for about 20 years or so but um, they just traditionally have been a phenomenal company that has inspired most of us but Knight's Armament for the US military and the US commercial market as a result have done phenomenal things I mean uh, you know I'll just throw something out there right off the bat you like flip up sites tell Knight's Armament thank you now Knight's Armament Reed has the biggest machine gun collection in the world, I believe. Uh, probably in excess of 20,000 guns. Um, and I think he took the flip-up sights that he's sold probably millions of to the military at this point from uh, the German FG-42. Is probably where those came from. Um, I have one. He has several. They look very similar. And this was such a great idea for him to innovate guns. He's got this massive collection and that he could just look at all this stuff that's historically been done, uh, you know, and for special operations or for whatever the reason and take from those things. Um, and it's been, it's been a really great idea. Uh, flip up sights, you like having a free floated barrel on your AR? You like uh, having, being able to mount stuff to a forend? Think, think Knight's Armament, think Reed Knight. Uh, you guys can Google the SOP mod, SOP mod program, S-O-P-M-O-D, I think. Uh, it was 94, 96. So that's when Reed sold the rail system to the military for the M4 and the M16 rifles, did the vertical foreign, uh, flip up sights, like all kinds of cool things. Uh, the silencer, the M4 QD, I believe it's known as. Um, you guys, if you, if you, I mean, there's companies that copy it now that aren't worth mentioning because they suck so bad, but it's Griffin Armament, um, that, that try to claim it as their own or that they're superior. That is such bullshit. That can was so far ahead of its time and it still slaps the shit out of the Griffin copy every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, you know, people say, oh, it's heavy, it's a tank, it's inaccurate for the time. You know, this is almost 25 years ago. Thing was incredible, and it met the accuracy requirement, exceeded the accuracy requirement, I believe, of the M4 rifle, but POI shift and all of those things. Um, it's built like a tank, it's an Inconel can. Uh, you know, and you, I, I laugh when I hear like soldiers or over the years complain about it. It's like, it's your fault. You guys should write better programs if you want something better. But given what was out there at the time, it was a brilliant design and he sold tens of thousands of them and good for him, deserves it. So I think 
Reed still has a government contract that he's had since 1982, or last I spoke to him, they had it. It's for a flash hider for a belt-fed 50 cal. Um, he got the first silencer contract, uh, you know, in modern times in the U.S. was for the Navy SEALs for the M16A2, or uh, M16A1, M16A1, I guess. Uh, the pencil barrel. It's a, a little bit over the barrel, but just with a collet sort of mounting system. It's a coaxial design. And he actually used, like, not fender washers, but some sort of hydraulic valve thing as the baffles that was an off-the-shelf thing. And I have several of them. Um, and I think that was 1982. If Sometime in that, it, you, you can Google it. Um, but it's a big, heavy silencer. But it's quiet. I mean, it in excess of 30 db reduction the can's just big and bulky but threads to the barrel and then there's a portion that goes over the barrel and it has a collet that squeezes the barrel so so it won't loosen um it's a cool design they've done so many interesting things for the military that trickle down the commercial market uh, you know silencers ammunition uh weapons systems and they're still doing it today and he started in the 70s um, you know, they've just introduced a, a, a belt-fed machine gun um, that's been adopted, I think, by um, some portions of SOCOM based on a stoner design uh, that I think he did for the 1986 for, like, the 249 trials. Um, so they've continued to evolve that design, you know, and now even 20-plus years after stoners died. Uh, so I think they're doing 5.56 and 7.62 versions of it, and I'm sure 6.5 or whatever is popular now the new 6.8 cartridge or something um reed knight's super interesting he's i believe um no he's dyslexic he has a hard time with some conventional uh you know education and, and things like this but is one of the most brilliant people i've known and has built a wildly successful business you know i would venture to say you know he and Gaston Glock have become the two richest people in firearms as a result of their work. You know, and Gaston Glock has been a brilliant businessman and developed a really great pistol. Reed Knight has developed thousands of things. Um, so, you know, j just inspiring. The things that I've seen from them, the specialty ammo for uh, the military and special operations, you know, captured piston stuff. Um, silenced revolvers, uh, belt-fed weapons, silencers. If, if any of you, a lot of you will remember the PDW that they did, which was actually um, six millimeter whisper, I guess, six by 35, and a little like four and a half pound side folding stock gun. Uh, that was awesome. Um, you know, there was no initial requirement for that gun to be suppressed. So uh, there was no provision really for subsonic ammo and six millimeters kind of too small for effective subsonic ammo. Um, but it's a super compact lightweight gun known as the PDW uh, that they developed for special operations. I think Hornady made the ammo. Um, the gun is compact, lightweight, so awesome to shoot. Has all the ergonomics and everything of the M4 except the folding stock. Um, it's similar to oh, like an AK and an AR-18 but with some modern manufacturing methods. And I know at the time they made the magazines, they machined both halves out of aluminum and uh, welded them 
I think they welded them together. So all the magazines that you ever see for those things are all machined from billet, which is pretty cool. Uh, that's one of the more interesting things I've seen them do. Uh, they've done silenced bolt action rifles. They obviously won the uh, SAS program, the M110, um, which started semi-automatic sniper rifles and stuff like that in our country. Uh, with silencers for those, they built the scope mounts, they did the triggers, they did the stocks, they did the rail system, they did the barrels on a lot of them. Um, you know, they basically did everything but optics, and they skipped over optics and went to thermal and night vision. Um, they've done incredible mounts for scopes, um, you know, and, and even throw lever mounts that work exceptionally well. Um, you know, they're in a million square foot facility in Florida that used to be the Tomahawk Missile Factory. Um, it's interesting that they were working on a 50 cal with Stoner for a while. The SR-50 that was a side feed magazine made a lot of sense for a semi-automatic 50 back 20, 25 years ago. Um, what else? Just every accessory you can think of for the AR that is so commonplace, really you can think Knight's Armament. There was a standard M16, and then they did this M16A2, and David Lutz, who was in um, Lieutenant Colonel, I believe, in the Marine Corps, was heavily involved in that, and when he retired, he went to work at Knight's. And that was the, the real change in the M16, you know, over 25, 30 years. And then all the rail systems and stuff happen. The silencer mounting, the triggers, uh, all the accessories that attach to the rail system. Um, all of these things really happen because of Knight's Armament. And then they did them for the MP5 and basically every gun that the military had. Uh, the Remington shotguns, the Mossberg shotguns, I believe. Um, everything that they did, they built they've built grenade launchers or standalone devices even to put the M203 in uh, that are really cool. There's so much neat stuff and it's it's always fascinated me because people always balk at the price of Knight's Armaments guns um, and no well having first-hand experience now in developing new guns but also even back then when I would go visit Knight's and I know Knight's Armament I know the family I know the business and what it takes for them to make a gun. You know, DPMS or whoever these companies are, even Daniel Defense, can build you a 308 gas gun for, you know, a couple thousand bucks, I guess. And the Knight's guns will be $5,000. Everything in the Knight's guns is special. They design it, they make it, it's not off the shelf parts. Um, Everything they do is for the military, so it goes through that entire process of testing. So whether it's coding, just the tolerances, the testing that they go through, uh, I believe you get what you pay for. You know, Reed Knight's become very wealthy in firearms and he's earned every penny. And I think um, every Knight's armament product that I have is a good value. You know, it's just like when I buy a Magpul stock or their P-Mags, it's a good value. Um, a good value doesn't always mean that it's cheap. Knight's Armament is a good value. It's just like I say with the fix. When you walk in a gun store and there's uh, a fix by Q in the gun store and it's $3,200, it's the best value in the gun store. 
I know what it should sell for. I know what it would sell for if Reed Knight was selling it. Uh, he's probably a better businessman than me. I know what it took to develop the gun. Um, you know, a lot of these companies, I, I would compare other people doing 308 gas guns to, uh, it, it's, it's just like if you have the fixed rifle or you're familiar with it, compare it to a 700. And when you get ignorant people that say, oh, well, you know, the fix is a ripoff. It's over $3,000. You can get a 700 and a chassis for two. Yeah, of course you can. And, you know, you still have a 700. It doesn't compare to the fix. I view the Knight's Armament 308 gas guns the same way compared to most everyone else. Uh, yeah, there's a reason they're cheap. You know, they set the standards for these things. They developed the magazine based on the original AR-10 magazines and the gun based on that. And they had Eugene Stoner working for him when they did it. They did it in conjunction with him, with him working there before he died. Uh, and Reed has probably the biggest collection of original AR-10s of anyone in the world. Probably most of them, if I had to guess. So he's got a better understanding of why and how the gun works and what you need to do to make it better. And, you know, Reed's devoted his life to the U.S. Armed Forces and small arms and has benefited all of us. Um, you know, I've never, he, they don't cut corners to build stuff when it comes to materials or manufacturing. Um, so, that just correlates to some of the products being very expensive. You know, I, I saw maybe even 10 years ago, they made the one millionth rail that they had produced for the M16 series of rifles for the military. I mean, that is incredible. And, you know, you just can't really put a price on that kind of experience with manufacturing those products, uh, working with extrusions, the coatings, the M16 tolerancing, all the things that go into that. You know, if, if I'm not really envious of too many people in the world, but I am envious of the experiences that Reed Knight has had. And, you know, he went after it all. Um, that That's really been his pursuit. And he's turned a lot of it um, maybe selfishly into this incredible firearms. They call it the Institute of Military Technology, maybe. Um, so it's not exactly a museum, but really an archive where they hope that they can learn and others can learn from it, going all the way back to pre-Revolutionary War, I think at this point, uh, up to modern times. It's a huge archive and museum that maybe you guys can Google, and if you're in, you know, near Cape Canaveral, uh, you'll, you could maybe one day have the opportunity to go visit it. Um, but he has that, and he's invested a lot of the wealth that he's created into that to have an archive. They used to have something called the Pattern Room in the UK, which was an archive for the government of all the firearms that they could collect around the world. And I'd been there several times before. They kind of shut it down, but they moved the collection somewhere else, and I think it's, you know, you, you're not allowed to access it now. Um, but you could go there and actually touch the guns, take them apart. It was for studying small arms and what had been done, you know, around the world with, with guns, trying to advance design and understanding um, of small arms. 
And I think that inspired uh, Trey and Reed to, to do that and build there. I call it a museum, but that's not what they call it. But if you guys haven't seen it, take a, take a Google. I mean, and I have personally been there where at auction, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a single gun just because he felt it was that, that vital to the collection. Um, so if you ever have an opportunity to go there and see it, you should absolutely do it. And I think anytime you see one of their products, like I collect their stuff and I don't even collect guns. I've got a collection. I've been in guns a long time. I've got a lot of cool stuff. I am queer for night stuff. Their nine millimeter snap on cans for the Beretta with a slide lock is the quietest nine millimeter silence thing you will ever hear. It requires wipes and those have to be replaced. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. But as far as sound reduction, and how clever it locks onto the gun and then you have a slide lock uh, to keep the action closed so you don't have to police the brass and for maximum sound suppression. It is incredible. They've done 22 silencers for the military, 5.56 machine gun stuff. Um, just so, so many neat things. I mean, I love their iron sights. And what's really cool to me is in how many different categories they've entered and it, it, it really speaks to me when, with all the varied products that they did or have done, you know, not just like one handgun or scope mounts or just the rail system, they are always the best or in the top two or three of everything they do. Um, you know, and I don't think there have been engineers that have worked, you know, for 20 and 30 years at Knight's Armament. And so you have to attribute it to the Knight family and how, um, you know, just dedicated they are to it and what a passion they have for, um, you know, making some of the best products and developing and thinking outside of the box. And I mean, all the things that we take for granted now, like your stupid vertical foregrip from your AR, tell Reed Knight, thank you. Um, and you know, and, and when that said, I'm sure he got it from you know, whatever, the HK-21E or something older, the, you know, the show show or whatever, uh, you know, it's a French World War One gun. Um, there have been guns throughout history that have a vertical foregrip, but all these things he thought of to adapt to the gun um, that we just really take for granted. I mean, they just developed a really good bipod. Uh, just super inspiring to me. So if you guys aren't familiar with Nike's Armament, if you're at a gun store, you ever get to see their stuff, take a look at it, it's cool. Look them up online, do some research, do some Google searches for their R-squared or silence revolvers, um, their PDW, read an article about that. Uh, just anything that they've done um, is super fascinating. And for someone who's pretty jaded in firearms at this point, and I'm proud of a lot of my accomplishments, um, you know, they are the freaking Michael Jordan. I mean, I would say Larry Bird, but for most of you will say Michael Jordan of firearms thus far. So cool. Take a look. Use Google. Do you want